Okay, I thought I would throw this picture back up on the slides just because it's a sweet old truck and because last week I got to dress up like a handyman and kind of made a funny point about how, you know, Jesus kind of was a handyman in, in some senses. Um, and it's kind of that idea of uh, one of the, the, sorry if you missed last week's sermon, but without going too far into it, um, this kind of idea when, when Jesus goes to his hometown and they say, isn't this man the carpenter, right? And again, we kind of get nostalgic and romantic about a car, you know, the, the, the profession of carpentry. Jesus was a handyman. Like, he was a stone worker. He was a higher labor, right? The word there, the Greek word tecton is just like, it's not like this cool carpenter who's, you know, making nice Instagram videos. He's just kind of like a, a regular worker. And so when he goes to his hometown, they're like, no, we, we know this guy. He's just a handyman. So, um, you know, kind of that image of a handyman within our society, I said, hey, let that be a reminder to you. Anytime you see the, the work trucks, the plumbers, HVAC, um, whatever, you know what I mean? The, the, the installers, the just like that kind of, that's who Jesus kind of came to this earth as, right? He doesn't come as, you know, the high priest. He doesn't come as the synagogue ruler. He doesn't come as a king or a general per se in the way we would think. He kind of comes very humbly and it is the glory of, it's, it's the glory of God to stoop, right? That's what Brunner says. Um, did anybody have a, a moment, and this could just even be like a quick hand raise where you saw a handyman this week and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus. Anyone, a couple? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so that was just kind of a, a 10 second recap on, on last week. Um, this week I, I kind of teased this out a little bit uh, and I want to talk about John the Baptist. Herod's going to behead John the Baptist. Um, so again, kind of this week, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. Next week, second Sunday. This week on the 5,000, I'm, I'm leaning. I've kind of gotten some good feedback. I'm leaning on just like, uh, I'm going to be out of town this week. So I'm leaning on just like a group discussion kind of week. So I'm going to, I mean, that's such an iconic story. There's so much great stuff in there. So whether I'll have some uh, questions to discuss and I'm going to ask that each kind of person does a, a little bit of homework research to kind of bring a little maybe something to that story, something that they find interesting, something that they they come across. But uh, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. We're going to talk about the 5,000 in a couple weeks. Um, uh, but when I, I think I told you this a little bit last week, um, you know, as I kind of worked through over the past couple years memorizing the book of Mark, this was for sure the, one of the hardest passages to, to really kind of, because um, it's just repetition, right? Anything you want to remember is just any song, any lyric, any um, just kind of uh, job, something you need to know for your job. I'm sure there's all sorts of things you need to know for your job that you just have to have here. You just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. So for me, as I was doing this, it was just repeating, repeating, oh, and then John, you know, Herod beheads John in the prison, and then Herod, you know what I mean? It's just, it was just, it's a hard one. Um, in some senses, it kind of made, made me a little bit sick to my stomach. So we'll, we'll read it. Um, it's not the cheeriest passage, so sorry to bring that to you this week. It's not the cheeriest passage, but let's read it. I mean, it's part of the scripture. There is some silver linings. There's some things that we can learn from it. Um, so if anybody's got a Bible, we'll go to 703. Go on your phone if you want to bring your own Bible. Some 
Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herod, uh, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John, protected him, knowing him to be righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he listened, he liked to listen to him. And an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, um, the high officers and chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias, his daughter herself, came in and danced and pleased Herod, and those who sat with him and the king, said to the girl, went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At least the girl hurried into in the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an ex executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Right. So the beheading of John the Baptist. Now imagine reading that 30 or 40 times in a row. In a row, trying to put that into your brain. It's, it's not the best part. Um, the, the thing about this passage, you know, again, we kind of read it and it's kind of stomach turning and it's violent. And there's like the mom who's using her daughter and the daughter who's just seems like she's willing to go along with this. There's when she dances, by the way, this isn't just like, um, you know, kind of this is this is like, let me just use modern day, this is modern day vernacular, okay? This is strip club dancing that she's doing. It's erotic, it's sexual. She's not pleasing the dinner guests by just, you know, so it's the mom using the daughter. It's the, like, this is like the uncle, you know, it's just like, there's like this relation. I mean, if you're an uncle, think about like a niece or kind of an extended niece and she's, it's just like, it's weird and it's twisted and it's gross. And then there's the beheading at the end, which is kind of the centerpiece of all of this. Um, the beheading part, too, is interesting because I remember reading um, a story back in 2022, March 2022, in which Saudi Arabia, in one day, um, they basically killed 80, like capital punishment, right? So capital punishment, state-ordered um, executions. They executed 81 people in a day across kind of the kingdom, right, for various crimes, and I remember reading this story about Saudi Arabia killing all these people, and it just happened right, you know, remember what happens right at the beginning of 22, right? Russia and Ukraine kind of start their war, and as that war is kind of gaining all the news attention, all the news cycles, that war starts in February, just a few weeks after that, Saudi Arabia comes, 
and they kill 81 people in a day, right? Um, and everybody, it's, it's, it was a kind of, I felt, at least the way I interpreted the news, it was the classic, like, everybody's looking over here, so we're doing our thing over here, right? Um, and one of the ways that Saudi Arabia um, carries out a lot of this punishment is through beheading, right? They just, they, that's just part of what they do. Um, there was recently a cell phone recording that was released. This was just in January, so just a couple months ago. Somebody had, I mean, it's, it's illegal, it's against the law. You will be killed if you do this, but somebody had managed to record one of the beheadings and released it um, to the public. So it's, it's out there if, if somebody wanted to go find it. They actually um, arrested another man for filming they caught so one got released and kind of nobody knows how it happened another man filmed right they catch this guy he's filming the beheading of a woman right so there's a woman in Saudi Arabia who's being beheaded and he's so I don't know how this happens I'm, I'm assuming he's not just like you know but he films they catch him right so he gets arrested there was the story that broke this week of a guy who was criticizing the government of Saudi Arabia he has like 10 Twitter followers so he's criticizing on Twitter um, and now he's faith, facing the death penalty. Um, this, this, again, this, when we talk about beheading, you know, it's like one thing to kind of look back into, uh, you know, the, the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago and like, oh, that's just kind of, like, it's still very much a part of our world today, right? Not necessarily here in the United States, but globally, right? Not just in Saudi Arabia, but there's different countries around the world that this is just part of what, what it is. I mean, this is also part of the controversy. I know a couple months ago, uh, the Live, I mean, I know Chris isn't here, our, our resident golfer, but the Live Golf, remember the, the Saudi Arabian Golf League that was starting, right? And they're like, oh, it's all this money. It's, you know, it's going to be great. And everyone's like, yeah, but yeah, they're just like killing people, like, at, at, like however you want to do it. Like you're just beheading people. And you know what I mean? And then there was, they're trying to buy out this big tennis um, this big tennis league at the moment there's that they're trying to buy soccer there's f1 so a lot of people look at a country and i'm not trying to be like overly critical of saudi arabia although i think there is a, a ton a ton to be critical about but um they look at all the human rights violations of saudi arabia right and they say man this you can't do this right you, this isn't kind of part of our world but it, it is. Sadly, it is, right? Sadly, it's, it's part of the Bible happened. It's, you know, when we read the Bible, a great question to always ask, is it that it happened or that it happens, right? It's always active. It's always living. We're always seeing human nature play out in our world. Um, this story, again, violent, brutal, stomach-turning. Um, and before we get into kind of some things I want to talk about, Herod, this man who kind of gets into this, um, I want to give us one silver lining, right? Because again, it's not, it's kind of a hard story to, to, to stomach. And here's the silver lining is verse 14 at the very beginning, right? So look at that beautiful cloud, silver lining. Isn't that just a wonderful, that's probably the highlight of the whole sermon right here. Just that image, nice Google image, silver lining cloud. Sorry, I'm tired this morning. So if my <laughs> jokes aren't as, as punchy as they, um, here's, here's such a great verse. King Herod heard about this, Right? For Jesus' name had become well known. King Herod had heard about what? The passages before this are about the disciples going out and doing ministry and healing, casting out demons, 
They're doing all these things, right? And King Herod is hearing about this and about Jesus' name becoming well known, right? Here's what we could think about this again, a silver lining in this kind of otherwise dark and depressing passage is that the name of Jesus is made well known because of the work of his disciples. That's us, right? That's us. That somehow this church, us as a group, as an, as an organization, as the body of Christ, our, really our only goal is to make Jesus' name well known, right? My goal is never to have all these seats full, add a second service, have more money in the offering box, have a better kids ministry, move out of this dumpy building into a nice big fancy... No, no, our goal as a church, your goal as a disciple is simply to make Jesus's name well known, right? That's what it is. Our goal is to make Jesus's name well known. And let me just throw one more little bit of a controversial silver lining in this one too. Here's here's one to, to talk about at Thanksgiving. It's okay to mix religion and politics. Okay, it's okay to mix religion and politics right? John is preaching by the river. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. And he walks in front of the king, in front of the political leader, in front of the palace. And he preaches, a, he preaches uh, about repentance to him too. And he says, it's not right. It is okay to mix religion and politics, especially as we move into this, for whatever reason, hyper um, turbo drive political next year plus, right? It's okay to mix religion and politics. I think that we should. I think we have to be careful how we do this, but I think that we should. I think what happens is people like to mix religion, and then instead of politics, they just get partisan, right? And so then they're like, well, Jesus is on our side, or Jesus isn't on their side, or Jesus is, you know, for sure Jesus is a Republican. And then, you know, Democrats say, no way. Look look at your, surely he's a Democrat. So it's okay to have religious, and Jesus is political, right? John the Baptist is political. So if you want these two silver linings for this passage, maybe the rest of the passage gets a little depressing, but um, our goal is to make Jesus' name well-known, right? And if you need to talk about religion and politics, you have all of my authorization to go do that. Just don't fall into religion and partisanship, right? That's where I think things get off the tracks. So let's talk about this guy, Herod, uh, King Herod. So, Rob, this is a little bit for you. I know you're a history guy, and so I was like, well, I'm going to give something for Rob this morning. So, and I kind of really enjoyed studying. I didn't know too much about King Herod, right? So I'm like, well, let's learn a little bit about this guy who's kind of taken up a large portion of this, who kills John the Baptist. His name is Herod Antipas, Right? You're probably more familiar or you're probably knowing his father. His father was Herod the Great, okay? Herod the Great, 72 BC to 4 BC. He is known for the second temple construction. The second temple construction, much of which is still part of the, if you were to go to Israel today, right? The Wailing Wall, a lot of the work, the temple that's there, that was uh, Herod Antipas father, Herod the Great, um, he built that, right? Well, he, not him, but he had that built. Um, this is the Herod, Herod Antipas' father, is the one who at Jesus' birth, remember that, right? The wise men go to Herod, 
right? And then, hey, where is this, where is this one that's born king of the Jews? Come find him and then come report to me. And they, they go take off another way. And then Herod is the one that says, um, we're going to kill all the, the boys under two years old in the kingdom, right? So you have Herod the Great, which I know a lot of us are familiar with, right? And then after he dies in 4 BC, um, this is his kingdom, right? This is kind of what he was uh, in charge of. Now, again, if to kind of even zoom out a little bit more, Herod exists, right? Herod the Great exists in the larger Roman Empire. So he exists as a ruler of this territory in, in and amongst the larger Roman uh, uh, Empire, right? But after he dies in 4 BC, what he does is he then divides the kingdom, right, into four different sections. Now, this map shows um, you got one, two, three, and four, right? This is kind of gets divided into just kind of general Roman rule. There is, um, let me make sure I get her name right, there is Salome I, who is given a couple cities. But um, there is, she's given a couple cities. And then you have here, I know this is hard to see, you have the red is Herod Archelaus, right? So he rules this area. Um, Herod Antipas, again, this is the guy we're talking about here. He gets this in and around Galilee, right? And then you get um, a guy named Philip who rules up here. As a matter of fact, Herod's official title is, um, is Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch means ruler of a quarter, right? He's ruler of a quarter. Now, one of the things that we hear, though, um, about this is that they refer to him, or Mark, as he's writing this, refers to him as King Herod, right? He's technically not a king. And people are kind of have speculated, why do they refer to him as King Herod? Some people would say that it's sarcasm, right? that, you know, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, um, it's almost like uh, maybe in the house, your house, like, I don't know, do your kids ever call you king, like king daddy or something like that? Just your wife, you refer to it. <laughs> but that's not sarcastically, of course, right? Or seriously, do you refer to it seriously? Yeah. Do you seriously think I do? <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> Oh man, and that's why you have to sit in between them, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so this is kind of the you know, are the Jews when when uh John Mark's writing this, is he being sarcastic? Oh, King Herod, right? He's, he's just, he's not a king, right? He's just, he just rules this little area right here. He's just a tetrarch, right? So is he sarcastic? Um, or was this kind of a common address that he wished to be called, right? So, I mean, again, think about the pretty much unlimited power that these people would have had. So he says, you will refer to me as king. So that's part of, um, part of what's happening. Part of the drama, too, in this passage is that Herod, right, just like his father, um, aspires to be king. And you can read about this in, um, we we're having our, our commercial break now. <laughs> no one likes soccer? No. It's true. Football? 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 
um, just like his father, he aspires to this kingship, right? So he wants to, to be this king. Now remember, there's a group of Jews. This is like kind of all where it ties together. There's a group of Jews in this time called the Herodians, right? And this group of Jews called the Herodians, um, they, they are like kind of working with Herod. They're kind of like saying, okay, we got to get along. We got to figure out how we're going to do things with Herod, right? The Roman Empire is too big. They're going to crush us. So you have these Herodians. And as Herod's kind of aspiring to this kingship by garnering favor with the Jews, right? By saying, okay, well, we're going to do these things. Um, John the Baptist, right? This is really what gets John the Baptist killed is he comes in as he's aspiring to this, this kingdom, right? You can read about this in Josephus and other historians. John the Baptist is the one that says, wait, you want to be the king of the Jews and you're breaking the Jewish law, right? In Leviticus, the law would say that you are not allowed to take a, like a, a wife of a family member, right? So he's, he's breaking the law and aspiring to be this kind of Jewish ruler, king, um, we can talk about religion and politics because it's interesting that a similar drama is playing out right now, right? There is a certain political leader who has broken the law, right? He's angling for this greater political office and people are saying, you can't be the, this, this high title while breaking the law, right? Again, the, is it the story that the Bible happened or it happens, right? There's always people... You know, so this is exactly the same thing where somebody's breaking the law, the Jewish law, and John the Baptist is saying, it's not lawful for you to do this, right? And he wants to be the king. He wants to rule over the, Jew, the Jews. So that's a little bit, I would say, of, of kind of the, the history of who this, and again, I, I've been, you know, doing ministry 20 years. I, I don't know if I've spent a lot of time learning, understanding about him. He's a major player, um, and you'll see him... Uh, in, in the crucifixion of Jesus, right? He comes up again in the crucifixion of Jesus. He rules until about 39 AD. Um, and then he, again, as he's angling for power, he gets ousted. He goes into exile. So he doesn't have a very glorious end like the real king, but um, that's Herod Antipas. Now, what's more fascinating about this, there's just a couple areas that I want to show how he kind of reflects some narratives in the Bible, right? how he kind of, you kind of look at the Bible and you look about this, this King Herod and how he kind of reflects these different narratives in the Bible. Um, one is the story of Esther. Uh, one is, as you look at the Sermon of the Mount, one is the parable of the sower. And then lastly, we're going to see a contrast here between uh, the, the two feasts that we'll have. So, when you think about Esther, we're all familiar with the story of Esther, I think, more or less, right? Esther um, is, is the story of her saving this kind of Jewish na nation, right, from, from extinction. Um, in chapter 1, right, this king is throwing these lavish parties. There's excess. He's demanding his wife to come out and dance in front of everybody. Again, that same kind of dancing that we're encountering in, in John uh, in, in the story of John the Baptist. Um, then there is later on, I think that's chapter four, the king asks, what is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? Even up to half the kingdom will be given to you. There is this story both in Herod, right? And King Xerxes, right? In the book of Ex Esther, they're pathetic, hollow, cartoon kings, 
right? Like they're shallow. There's no substance. They think they have control. They think that they can just, I mean, I, I, can I use that a couple more times this morning? They think that they can just walk around, like walk around telling everybody to kiss the ring. They think that they're in control. And everybody looks at them like, see, now this is where the analogy breaks down because I don't want to put you down. Everybody looks at them like, you're a joke. You know what I mean? But you're not. You're a man of many, of many complexities and layers and respect. What is this ring? But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's that kind of idea. And again, when you're doing it, you're not like, but they're doing it. He really does. You know, sometimes I prepare these sermons and then we just have these left-hand turns that end up being better than the sermons themselves. So, woo! What have mercy. But you had this kind of like, this echo, right, in, into Esther. Um, You know, one other thing I'll say on this, kind of echoing this King Xerxes, right? You, you have, again, this King Herod, right? This sarcasm. Because as you read this story, right? When you look at Herod, he doesn't control anything. He is acting, as a matter of fact, in exact opposite of a king. He's being used. He's being manipulated, He's afraid of what people are going to think about him. He reacts. There's no nobility to his actions. Like, again, when you read this story in, in Esther, right, about this King Xerxes who's demanding people to, to do stuff, and then he has all... You have both, both stories. And again, I think that there's, there's some tie-in and, and some kind of scriptural reflection of, of these shallow, hollow, pathetic kings, Right? Uh, then the other one I would say is we move into the Sermon on the Mount, right? And I'm sure, um, let me see who I'm going to make read that. Um, sorry, this is, this, I'm going to have to go over there. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, right, go, go, to, go to Matthew 5 so you can, well, I, if you have the Bible, you wouldn't be able to, that's my, always my complaint about those Bibles, that they don't have any headers, which is why I took a screenshot and put it up here. So if you go to Matthew 5, if you have like your own Bible, but, you know, Matthew 5 kind of starts as Jesus does a Sermon on the Mount. And then these different sections, right? You probably see this in um, whether your phone app or kind of a more normal Bible than the ones that we have. Um, salt and light, right? You are the salt of the world. Uh, the fulfillment of the law, right? Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I'm making sure that I want every least stroke of the pen will not disappear you have murder, right? You have said don't murder, but I tell you, if you hate a person in your heart, you've committed murder. Adultery, you've said don't commit adultery, right? And everyone's like, oh, I haven't committed adultery. Jesus says if you lust after somebody, you've committed adultery. There's divorce. Um, there's oaths. There's eye for an eye. There's revenge. There's love for enemies. So one of the things I would say is if you look at this story of King Herod, right? Did I put him up here? you actually see the exact opposite of the Sermon on the Mount, right? You see Herod with total disregard for the law, right? You see him, uh, or and, and you see especially in his wife, Herodias, right? That kind of anger, she, she nurses this grudge. 
Uh, we talked about this on, on Tuesday night. Here's something fascinating about this passage about Herodias, right? It is the only time in the Gospels a woman is spoken of negatively. There is no other time in the Gospels in which a woman is portrayed in a negative light except for here in this passage about Herodias, right? Um, and you have her nursing a grudge. She's bitter. She wants um, revenge. She, hate, she has hatred. You have this whole image of lust, right? This whole dancing scene is just a bunch of men who, again, are just partying and celebrating and feasting while people dance in front of them in very erotic ways. You have these oaths. I mean, I guess maybe you could say that if anywhere he kind of, maybe he does, like he keeps his word, but in, in such a, in such a like destructive kind of, such a destructive pathetic oath keeping here, right? It's like the one place where he kind of like keeps his words. Just like, man, if you could actually break your oath, it would be better. You have the revenge, you have the hatred, you have the bitterness. I would say that you could read the story of Herod, right? If we as Christians hold to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's words of holding on to the law, of forgiving, of not lusting, of keeping our word, right? Of not trying to take revenge, of loving enemies, all those sorts of things, right? I would say that what we have here in Herod is a photo negative of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember this says, I mean, we're all old enough to, when, when you had the old cameras as a kid, right? And you'd pull the negative and you'd hold it up to the light and you'd see the, the photo negative. We all know who that is? Tiger Woods, right? And you just get this kind of like, this kind of, I mean, this picture of Tiger is just, just kind of grotesque. Not, I mean, not bad, but it's just like, this is what we have with Herod. We have a photo negative, right? Of, of what a real king would look like, of what somebody who looks like, um, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, two other tie-ins. One is the parable of the sower, right? We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus tells this parable of the sower, and he talks about the seed that is sown on rocky places, right? And those people, they hear the word, right? Herod l- likes to listen to John, and he's puzzled and troubled by him, right? And they receive it with some sort of joy or enthusiasm or excitement, but they have, again, we, uh, the, that first part, they're shallow. He's pathetic. He's hollow. They only last a short time. As soon as trouble or persecution comes because of the word, what does Herod do? Disappears. He shrivels. He falls away, right? He, he is just that shallow soil. An example of somebody, just like last week, right? Last week we talked about people who were amazed at hearing Jesus' teaching, right? They're amazed at his teaching. And then Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. There's no connection to, to what he's hearing and then, um, and then their, their faith. And then I think the last one too, and we'll, we'll end with this one, uh, is the two meals, right? These two meals. Again, as you kind of observe Herod throughout the scriptures, kind of um, putting him up against some different passages. He's throwing this birthday banquet, right? Erotic dancing from his, like, from his niece or kind of, you know, family member. And there's the beheading, and there's the manipulation, and there's, um, 
and and there's just like it's just violent and grotesque and then in the very next passage right Jesus steps out of a boat and he sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd and he teaches them he feeds them his word and then he feeds them with the with the fish and the loaves um the image of what i always get with Herod is um is just a shrinking right is just a shallow man who ends up collapsing in on himself, right? He's chasing the wrong thing. Uh, as, I, as I memorize this passage, you know, as, as I kind of, um, uh, like I would say a big picture takeaway f- for me, right? As I memorize this passage, yeah, as, as I'm always looking for little kind of memory devices, uh, in verse 14, you start with the official title, King Herod, right? And again, whether that's sarcastic or, you know, that's what he wanted people to refer to him as. You start with the official title, King Herod, right? And then in verses 17 and 21, it just shrinks down to Herod, right? All of a sudden he's lost that quote unquote title. He's just Herod, right? And then verse 25 and 26, right? Now he's just referred to as the king, right? So now he's just, he's lost his name. Now he just has a placeholder, and then at the very end of the story, he just reduces down to he, right? One of the big picture takeaways, as I've always thought about this story, is this is kind of what, again, if you want to live a life that is, in, that is kind of the photo negative of, a, of the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you want to live a life that is just shallow soil, what that does over time, it depersonalizes you, it diminishes you, it shrinks you, you become smaller and smaller and smaller as the narrative spirals downward, right? Jesus in his, sermon, in his feeding of the 5,000 expands, multiplies, grows, right? Develops. And I think it's a real kind of contrast here, right? As we just see King Herod to Herod, to the king, to he, and eventually he fades into nothing. When I was a little kid, um, you know, you go camping, and I don't know if you guys if you guys ever did this when you went camping as a little kid. Maybe some people out there, and um, you're drinking your juice out of a styrofoam cup. Come on, you guys know drink those. And then when you do that styrofoam cup, you throw it into the fire, right? And what happens to us? Who's there? Right. Just remember how fast it goes like that, right? I, this, is the, this is always the image of what I get of what sin does to somebody's life. It's a styrofoam cup in the fire. This is King Herod, a styrofoam cup in the fire. And he goes there, he's got no substance. He's hollow, he's pathetic, he's shallow. And as soon as the fire comes, it just shrinks him into nothing, right? And pollutes the environment around him if you really want to stretch the metaphor a little bit farther. But um, that's, that is the image of Herod's life. So I think that's about all I got for this morning. Um, a couple questions for us to kind of discuss on. And maybe I'll just type in something in there about, about kissing the ring, because I feel like that could be the real, the real heart of today's sermon. Um, you know, how do you feel we do as a church making Jesus' name well known? That's kind of a good question for us to always think about. Uh, what is the most shocking or troubling, um, I think I meant to put aspect, or what is most shocking or troubling about Herod's life, right? What, what kind of really 
um, I guess made you uh, throw up a little bit in your mouth. Um, which scriptural tie-in was most interesting you, to you and why? Esther, Sermon on the Mount, Four Soils, or the, the two-meal comparison. Um, and then think of a next step kind of based on what we've discussed this morning and share it with the person next to you. I didn't have like that, that kind of application step, but maybe the Lord's again speaking something to you as you kind of look at this different aspects of Herod's life um, and there's a next step that might happen. So let's just take a few minutes and do that. Uh, discuss it amongst one another. If you got to get up and move around to, to chat with somebody, do that. Uh, and then we'll go, uh, we'll have some discussion after that.